e-commerce Australia podcast. Welcome to e-commerce Australia. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, founder of Remarkable Digital. This podcast is aimed at those who have their own online business, e-commerce professionals looking to keep current on the trends, and for anyone interested in learning more about the world of e-com. For those of you seeking direct assistance, Remarkable Digital is just a call away. Our mission is to be remarkable, doing great things for great people and great businesses. I understand how much choice you have and how many podcasts are out there, so I'm truly grateful you've tuned in. Please let me know if you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like covered. Let's get started. Welcome to 2024 and the first episode of the year. Now, we start with a huge name in Melbourne for e-commerce. We possibly might be losing her to Sydney by the sounds of it, but we can ask that question directly to the current head of e-commerce at Wellco, Daniela Cohen. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Looking forward to yeah, learning a little bit more about yourself and your background and as we touched on, I guess, before we started recording with your own e-commerce business and some of the places you've been. But first up, there's some news for all us Melbournians that we're losing you to Sydney by the sounds of things. What's prompted that? So my partner got a job up there. He's a corporate lawyer. And we just wanted a bit of a sea change. So fortunately, Wellco is very flexible and has amazing working from home and remote opportunities. So next week we're making the move up, which is very exciting. Fantastic. And uh, you still haven't found a place to live yet or where, where's the ideal location? Somewhere around uh, Tamarama or, uh, or Bondi, was it? That's the dream. The closer to the beach, the better. You know, we don't want to feel like we're living in Melbourne. So, Oh, that sounds, sounds fantastic about the move. Good luck with that. What are you going to miss the most about Melbourne? The coffee. I have not had a good coffee in Sydney. So if anyone listening has any recommendations, let me know. But I'm very much <laughs> a Melbourneian coffee snob, so I'll miss that for sure. Nice one. And how long, you said you were from New Zealand. Uh, how long have you been in Melbourne for? Just had my 10-year moving anniversary. So, yeah, moved up just after high school and, and went to uni here. So Okay, brilliant. Now, before we get into sort of Welco and, and how things are going there and some of your thoughts on uh, on e-commerce more generally speaking, looking through your career, you've worked for some really interesting places, looks like Provador during the height of COVID would have been pretty crazy. And you've also got your own e-commerce business. So maybe let's start with Provador. How was your experience there? Provador was a crazy time. I previously was at an agency and it was the thick of COVID and my old manager at my first job, Cappy, reached out to me and said, hey, I'm joining Provador. Do you want to join the team? So left my very stable job to join the startup in the height of the pandemic and it was very exhilarating, should I say. I've never seen numbers quite like it and rapid growth quite like it. Yeah, it was baptism by fire, but (laughs) a really rewarding experience. And it was quite profound, actually, when we came out of lockdown, you know, the normalization of the customer behavior. And, you know, I left after nine months because I was uncertain about the future of the business. And in hindsight, it's interesting to see how it's played out. It's had a few lives since. But yeah, it was very, you know, exciting to be a part of that and really help set them up for success with all their digital platforms. Yeah, interesting. So obviously through COVID, 
which no one could have predicted, but the, the spike would have been massive. And then so post that kind of COVID world, it didn't really come back down and people stopped ordering through that because they wanted to get out and, and eat again. Or what was the takeaways? Yeah, there was. I think there was a lot of fatigue with online ordering and people just wanted to mm. get back into restaurants. And the experience, while you can try and make it as similar you know, as you can, is never going to be the same as going out to a restaurant. So there were audiences that were really sticky. And quite interestingly, it was the people who had kids and families who found it difficult to get to a fancy restaurant, you know, on a weeknight. And they they were quite a sticky audience. But, you know, all your inner city, you know, young professionals went straight back, you know, to dining, myself included. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Okay. Well, that's, um, yeah, obviously a pretty hectic nine months by the sounds of it. And before that, you were working at Overdose, which is, uh, yeah, probably one of the best known digital agencies or e-commerce agencies in Australia. So some really great background and, uh, and uh, yeah, a good platform to launch now with Wellco. Before we go to that, what about Supper Supply, your own e-commerce business? How have you found that? Has that been going, what, 12 months or so, did you say? Yeah, so we launched it just over 12 months ago. I co-founded it with my partner. We really saw a gap in the market for olive oil that wasn't, sorry, there was no olive oil that really spoke to us. So you walk down the supermarket aisle, it's a sea of green and glass. There was no branding or brands that really spoke to us as, you know, that people who care about what they put on their kitchen counter and in their meals. So yeah, we both have full-time jobs and on the side, put together this brand, which has been doing really well. So we're excited about where it's going. Fantastic. And so from an e-commerce point of view, uh, you build on Shopify, I'm going to assume? Correct. I'm a Shopify girl through and through. 100%. And so how was that go to market of the first 12 months? How have you? How did you start that business? Did you start with Google Ads or was it... Uh, you know, SEO or, or emails. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know that first 12 months in the journey. Yeah, so fortunately, I've had a lot of experience with lots of different brands throughout my career, especially at Overdose, the agency. You're exposed to so many different types of businesses and you get to learn on someone else's dollar. So I was able to apply a lot of those learnings into my own business. And it's scary when you're spending your own money, so you don't want to waste a dollar. But we tried to do things as lean as possible. So, you know, I built the website. We had a graphic designer build out the brand for us. And then, you know, I'm our graphic designer thereafter with all the assets. The most important levers, I would say, one is TikTok. Very big advocate for TikTok. You never know what video is going to send you viral. So, yeah, we're always just putting out all sorts of videos. And then paid ads. So my background is really in Facebook ads and Google ads. So that I'd say has been our biggest lever to date on growing the business. Okay, fantastic. And what's the TikTok handle for people out there to give you a follow on what's some of the content? So follow us at Supper Supply, S-U-P-P-E-R Supply. We post a lot of things you don't know about olive oil. So it's quite... It's actually, you know, one of the world's best superfoods. It's so, so good for you. Two tablespoons a day is the recommended dose. And, you know, stories about our business and how how we're going, a lot of behind the scenes. So, yeah, definitely check us out. Yeah, awesome. And that's, uh, I guess that's what is cutting through in e-commerce more widely is 
I know there's plenty of comments around UGC being on the decline because it's oversaturated, but definitely behind the scenes and that kind of real stories and authenticity uh, seems to always be cutting through nicely. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Wellco now and your current role there as head of e-commerce. What's a, you know, do you have a typical week? What does that look like? So a lot of my week is spent in meetings with a lot of our external providers. So we work with a lot of different agencies for different facets of the marketing funnel. A lot of time is spent looking at data. So I'm half very data-driven and half quite creative. So I love that about my role as I get to blend the two. So yeah, looking at data and then forecasting is quite typical of the week. Where are we going to land for the month? Where do I think we're going to land for the next six months and the next 12 months? And then looking at what we've put out in market, how's that performing? How did yesterday's EDM do? How is our new paid ad doing? And then reviewing a lot of that customer data that comes through. So what's the experience like? How can we use those learnings to you know, make changes live on the website that can be quite quick and, and quite nimble? Yeah, perfect. And how much of that team is kind of internal as opposed to external? And I guess you'd have to have a pretty tight relationship with agencies, although your agency experience holds you in good stead with that. What does that look like? How many agencies do you work with? And do you have some an in-house marketing team as well? Yeah, so there's definitely a benefit of having worked agency side because you know you can kind of see through the bullshit, which you know, is a good position to be because you've been on both sides. Yep. We are quite a lean team internally. So the e-commerce team, there's really just two to three of us and then a wider marketing team. So we do rely a lot on external parties who are really experts in their field. And a lot of them are based internationally. So a lot of the agencies that we work with aren't necessarily AU-based and that's because, you know, AU is only one quarter of our overall business. So there's a lot of international focus for us. Okay. Yeah, that's a question that would be interesting to expand on a little bit more. So was Welco, so Welco, uh, for those who don't aren't familiar with the brand, was founded by Al McPherson. Where was it first launched? Was it first launched in the US because that's where she resides at the moment or was it an Australian brand to start with that's gone global? So it started in Australia, actually in Perth which is where I believe Elle lived at the time with her co-founder at the time. And then it really took off from there. So it's had lots of different lives across its 10 years. We're celebrating our 10th birthday in March this year. But then due to the, we're really the first, you know, of its kind in ingestible beauty and really kind of leading that space when we launched 10 years ago. And then really saw that opportunity in the States. So that's our one of our large markets. And then we also operate in the UK and the EU. Okay, yeah, nice. And we were talking uh, before we press record, but what's uh, I'm sure everyone knows Elle McPherson. What is she like as a person and to work for? Honestly, incredible. She's so authentic. And when you hear her story about why she started this brand, which is really, you know, a result of her personal experience when she turned 50 and just feeling quite rubbish in her body. And she went on this journey with her naturopath who actually formulated our hero product, which is the Super Elixir, our greens powder. And that just changed her life. And she wanted to share that with, you know, as many people as she could. And when you hear her tell that story, it's so resonant and really empowering 
and she really, really cares. And everything that we put out, Elle, you know, has input on. So it's very not the case like a lot of celebrity brands who just slap their name on it. You know, we're really an extension of Elle and it's really, you know, quite something to be able to work with her. And we also forget she's such a big celebrity. Like she'll, you know, go party with someone famous and we're like, oh, yeah, Elle's Elle's a big name. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And she was a big name like before social media really. Like she was big back then. So, yeah, it's amazing. I watched a video of her talking about that founder journey to start with and, um, yeah, to see that she's still in great shape. She still looks amazing and, and, you know, very articulate and very smart. So she's definitely a a great Australian celebrity, that's for sure. You touched on ingestible. What was it, the ingestible beauty? Is that the category? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that category has become quite busy uh, with the the greens powders, athletics greens and all that, understanding you're a little bit different, but it is still a competitive marketplace to get cut through. How do you stand out in a market such as that? So we have the unique competitive advantage that is Al McPherson. And so that is something that other brands, you know, that we can stand apart from them and really leveraging her authenticity and sharing her story. So we try not to get too, you know, swept up by what everyone else is doing and really just focus on spreading Al's message because it's so authentic and so real. And once people hear that story, they're really inclined to, you know, start taking the product. So, yeah, really just doubling down and focusing on that authentic message. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And you have some amazing sort of uh, reviews on the website. I was checking them out and, and even on your Facebook page and the, the social ads and, you know, I'm getting retargeted a little bit because I've been on the, on the site, but there's a lot of great testimonials and a lot of great words being spoken. What's the process out of interest for getting a Google review? Obviously, there'd be some sort of automation that goes out, you know, how many days after they get the product or do they have to subscribe to the product and then they leave a review or... Yeah, I guess what's the process for getting so many of your reviews? So we use Okendo on the tech side of things for reviews. We are fortunate enough to have a really strong bank of reviews over the course of the business, which is 10 years. And the product is so strong that we just get, you know, people are so excited to share their experience with the product. We don't hide any bad reviews. So what you see on our website are the true reviews. Yeah, a lot of brands, you know, might hide some of the bad reviews, but ours are not. So our customers can really trust in that. We have an email flow that goes out. Again, that's something we always A-B test. You know, what's the right time to send that email out? Have they had enough time to, you know, experience the product and the benefits and then, you know, testing that message, whether it's the subject line and the content of that email to get the most reviews. But it's definitely a key focus for us because we know that our audience responds really well to reviews. Yeah, exactly. And it's a good point you raise. I deal with that from my agency point of view around Google reviews and people are, you know, what if we get a bad one or whatever, but, you know, it's pretty well established. I think that, uh that consumers will, will trust a, a 4.8 or a 4.7 mm-hmm. as opposed to a 5.0 uh, reviews exactly. because you, you just 
being authentic and honest. And um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, you use a Kendo as well. That seems to be a, a platform that's, um, you know, popping up more and more in that e-commerce space, obviously. Yeah, we've had a great experience with them. We've had about three different reviews providers and Akendo has, has definitely been the strongest. Yeah. What makes them stand out over, you know, a couple of the other ones? Well, I won't name them, but we all sort of know who they are. Yeah. yeah. Their tech is probably the most advanced versus what I've seen. Their interface is pretty user-friendly. And what really stood out for me was their integration with Klaviyo. So you can choose the email. You can do all the A-B testing that comes with Klaviyo. Whereas with, you know, other providers like Yopo, you're limited to the email that's hard-coded in. So it's really hard to optimize and make changes. Yeah. So that was, yeah, one of the key benefits for me. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, it's good to know. I've got a question here around what does this tech stack look like? It's a bit open and maybe I'll, I don't know, do you have an answer to that? I'll just go to the next question. I can share that. So Shopify Plus is, you know, our base platform. We use Akendo for reviews. We use Yopo for our loyalty program. We use Rodeo for subscriptions, Tapcart for our app. There's probably heaps more, but those are the ones. They're the main ones. Yeah, it's just interesting to know what people are using. And, you know, a lot of our audience is small to medium businesses, so it gives them a good understanding of, you know, what uh, someone of of Wellco size are using and and perhaps look at them at some stage when, you know, the revenue reaches a certain level that it makes sense to use those. What keeps you up at night from a – e-commerce manager point of view anyway what's um you know what's the biggest i guess thing that that keeps you awake at night in heading into 2024 i would say it would be i don't know if this is a niche answer but add creative and efficiency so always thinking about you know what is the best or new interesting ideas of creative that we can put out to get cut through because that's such an important lever for i guess both businesses and efficiency you know how can we improve the amount that you know the return that we're getting for what we're spending and how much should we be spending yeah have you seen that fluctuate dramatically over the last 12 months have you you know i guess you've been trying different creatives i know sort of the last six months of last year sort of almost like pr looking campaigns work quite well as as creative and that may have burnt out now. So how often do you look at that creative? Quite often. I'm obsessed with checking things. So I look at things on a daily basis. I love putting new ads out and just seeing what's going to work and, you know, lots of different hooks for one asset. You always think intuitively what is going to be the winning asset, but, you know, 30% 30 40% of the time is going to be what you don't expect. So I'm very big on testing everything and you just never know what's going to be the asset that might change your business. Yeah, cool. And can you give our listeners an idea of how long would you test creative before you decide it's a winner or it's not? So in Meta specifically, you can get a pretty good read you know, in a few days, you're going to know if it's a winner or if it's a not, especially if you're using Advantage Plus shopping campaigns, which I recommend. Yeah. If after seven days it's not working for you, it's, you know, it's going to be a dud. It's very rare that an ad will start off slow and then, you know, shoot to the top. Facebook, the algorithm is very 
very powerful these days. Yeah. Do you have like an always-on campaign as well for some brand awareness? So we're very conversion-focused. Brand awareness is we see that more as a, you know, above-the-line activity and all the the digital channels are very below-the-line and and performance-optimised. Yeah, okay. Do much on YouTube in terms of video content. Obviously, it's a huge search engine. You've probably got the right assets for video, generally speaking, but given the product, I'd be interested to know, is there a play on YouTube for you guys at the moment? There is. It's something that we're dabbling in. We don't have, you know, a really extensive budget behind it at the moment, but for the creative that we know works well, we're elevating that on YouTube. Yeah, to your point, to to get brand awareness. So you're doing like paid ads or are you doing more sort of organic content on YouTube? Yeah, more on on the paid side of things than organic. Yeah, okay. And then what's working well for Wellco over the last kind of couple of years and um, obviously starting to be building or built a, a really great brand, what do you think are the key drivers for success? So one thing is really testing. We test everything things that you think aren't going to work, things that you think you've tested before, and then eventually you will, you know, be guided to things that work really well and then you just double down on that. So that iterative process over the last, you know, three years has been really impactful for us. And then also really, you know, trying to align our messaging to Al's authentic story and having people, you know, resonate with that story in as many platforms and channels as we can has been really effective. Okay, yeah, great. And then in terms of like email, SEO, influencer marketing, is there any channel that's kind of surprised you or that stood out or that's working better than it ever has over the last 12 months? SMS has definitely been a growing channel for us. I think we started it maybe two years ago and there's definitely a lot of learnings. It's a very, you know, unique channel compared to email and and paid. And I think it's become really saturated in the last six to 12 months. I personally sign up to lots of different brands to see, you know, what they're putting out. And I get a text every day and it's, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so really finding that sweet spot of messaging people not too often, but enough so they're not like, who are you and, and why are you messaging me? But when used effectively, it can be a really, really powerful channel. Okay, yeah, interesting. So what sort of messages are you sending? Is it sort of some urgency around, hey, by now? Is it more communication, like in terms of your next subscriptions coming up? Or is it, uh, you know, relevant in terms of what deal you guys have on at the moment? If you do deals, I'm not even sure whether uh, Wellco does deals, but what sort of information are you communicating to them in your SMS? So there's two realms, a lot like email, there's the automation and the campaigns. So on the automation side, we have, you know, the order confirmation, your next subscriptions coming up, abandoned cart messages. And then on a campaign front, anything that's going on on our email and marketing calendar that we think, you know, is worthy of an SMS because it is, you know, an extra expense we'll put out to our audience. Okay. Yep. So like sort of just campaign specific messaging. Yeah. If there's a piece of content that performed really well or, 
you know, obviously Black Friday, that's a massive sale period. We don't tend to do sales throughout the year, but, you know, if we need to, if we do have an offer, that will also go out on SMS. Yeah. Okay. That probably leads me to the next question. What metrics do you put the most importance on, you know, from a weekly, monthly performance level? What do you kind of look at and keep an eye on the most? Obviously, testing is a big part of that. So, what's working from a testing point of view but is there are there any kind of metrics that you know means that you you guys are you know shooting the lights out from a marketing perspective our biggest north star would be cac so that's our customer acquisition cost i kind of think of it as a a proxy for how you know are people picking up picking up what you're putting down people putting down what yep. you're picking up whatever that saying is <laughs> yeah. so if your cac's really high you know, something you're doing is not working. You need better creative. You need better messaging. What's your PR and social media doing? And if the CAC is really low, something that you're doing is working and you need to spend more or double down on that. So yeah, that's probably our biggest metric that I live and breathe by. Yeah, nice. And can they buy a one-off product from you guys or is it all subscription-based? So we offer both. You can buy it once, try it out, or you can subscribe. And we have quite a strong offer. You get 20% off every order and free shipping. Okay, fantastic. So because of that subscription model, can you afford to spend a little bit more to acquire a new customer because you have the data that they know once they are subscribed that they they generally stay on? Does that mean that you get a little bit more leeway in terms of um, spending a little bit more to acquire that customer or is it still quite frugal? No, you're absolutely right in that. So another metric that we we look at is LTV, um, so the lifetime value of the customer and what's that for one-time customers and what's that for subscription customers and blended. And that does afford us, you know, a higher CAC tolerance um, based on what percentage of subscribers we get opting in. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What about, um, you know, it's widely kind of, thrown about uh, in the modern day of, of having anywhere from 7 to 22 touch points before a conversion is triggered, a question without notice, but do you know how many touch points and generally you need to hit before they purchase? That is a hard question. I. It's hard to track, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's very hard to track. <laughs> but I would say that when we put out, you know, a strong piece of creative, it can be one touch point. So... You know, without a post-purchase survey to kind of validate that, we do have, you know, a strong acquisition funnel and a really sticky customer once we do get them on board. Yeah. Do you do many post-purchase surveys? But even kind of, I guess, as people leaving uh, the platform, do you have any surveys like in terms of that customer experience and and how to get feedback on board? What sort of methods do you, does Wellco use to um, to sort of get that information? So there's a few different avenues. One is reading the customer reviews. As I said, we post everything. So the good and the bad and the bad always, you know, can prompt ideas of of how to improve things. The second is a post-purchase survey. So we, I kind of oscillate between questions, but that is a really insightful place to get feedback on, you know, how their shopping experience was what can we do better and, you know, where did they first hear about us? So those are kind of the two main areas um, that I'll look to quite often 
to get a sense. Yeah, nice. And I know a lot of our audience are trying to get that data, but perhaps get a little bit frustrated for, you know, people not following through on Google reviews or those surveys. How do you find that the hit rate on them and do you add any sort of incentives for people to fill out those surveys or give you a Google review? Is there any kind of incentive for them doing so or they just do it out of love of the product? So we've tested a lot of different things and I would say it'd be different for every brand. So definitely test different incentives, whether it's, you know, be in the draw to win X or we'll give you a discount code for your next order. That will vary, but definitely having an incentive does help. And then, you know, it's also very product-led. If people have had a great experience or conversely a very bad experience, they're a lot more inclined to, you know, share their story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great advice. Do you, in terms of like attributions, obviously a big one and with Google at some stage going to remove cookies and just generally with sort of cross-platform metrics being a little bit hard to track or getting harder and harder with all the privacy, does attribution come up a lot in your team in, in trying to work out how to attribute what's working or what's not? Do you use a you know, uh, MER as a bit of a, a baseline for tracking how things are working or what's the general conversation around attribution? Attribution is a very, it's a rabbit hole and I try not to get lost in it. So CAC is really kind of our guiding, you know, light in terms of attribution. We do kind of look at MER but not too closely. Yep. Yeah, okay, yeah, sounds good. So as you said, the North Star is, you know, the customer acquisition cost and, you know, you kind of live and die by that. If it's on the way up, then things aren't going well. And if it's if it's on the way down, then things are things are going well and do more of it. Yeah, exactly. We also look at a percentage of spend to net sales, which is, you know, the inverse of MER. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of, you know, other metrics that we look to to guide us, but I just think you can get so lost in attribution and, you know, dilutes your focus. Yeah, great. I love it. Have you done much in that influencer marketing space? Obviously, a brand like yours sort of lends itself to plenty of influencers that wanted to get on board. Have you done much in that space and has it worked if so? So we really view L as our, you know, in-house influencer. Fair so we enough. try to yep. leverage her channels as much as we can. We have, you know, started to explore more into, you know, micro-influencers and how can they complement L and reach different audiences. So it's something, you know, we're looking a lot more more to this year. Yeah. And is the, the plans to obviously you're in – AU, US, UK, where was the fourth one? EU, yeah. EU, so yeah. Are you looking for, is there sort of expansion plans on, on the horizon to to tackle some of those even uh, much bigger markets, you know, Asia and India and, and those sorts of places or at the moment is the focus on the four? It's really just focusing on the four. There's a lot yeah. of growth in the category and in the market and, you know, there's a lot of new competitors entering all the time. So, you know, really just solidifying our position in market. Yeah, perfect. I've got two more questions for you. E-commerce predictions, more broadly speaking, than just um, than just Welco and, and supper supply. What do you think is going to be the, the topical conversation for e-com in 2024? So two things came to mind. One is the role of, you know, paid media agencies Traditionally, they were very 
you know, it was very involved being in the ad account every day. There was a lot of strategy and a lot of media buying and, you know, a percentage of spend model. But that, in my view, is just quite redundant in today's world. You know, I manage all the ads myself for supper supply and, you know, I think anyone can do it, you know, with a little bit of learning. So the real value is going to come from creative and what can these agencies offer creatively? And those are the agencies that I think will succeed. And I think, you know, the percentage of spend model is quite outdated. And then the other thing is, you know, what's an e-commerce podcast today without saying the words AI, but I think specifically (laughs) AI and creative is going to be really interesting in how, you know, I haven't seen any tools yet that I think are, are there, but I think the tools will get there. And that's a really exciting unlock, especially, you know, on the efficiency side of things. Yeah, interesting. I haven't, um, I haven't really touched on AI, to be honest, apart from a couple of podcasts, but do you implement, do you use AI within either of the businesses that you're running at the moment? So ChatGPT, I do use from time to time, especially for supper supply. It gives me lots of content yeah. ideas. And then on the Welco front, yeah, I'm more on the copywriting marketing team, do lean into it. And I've been playing around with like an AI voiceover tool for ads. So I think, yeah, we're, we're dabbling, but still trying to find, you know, the best tool. Yeah, I think that's that's the case for most people out there. There's there's so much coming out so quickly and perhaps a lot of it promises more than it delivers at the moment. But, yeah, obviously it's moving so quickly that uh, you can't sleep on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting year around AI, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be some pretty, pretty cool breakthroughs. So that's it from an e-commerce point of view. I noticed on your socials that you are just announcing a new product. So what's the evening elixir, and when's that out, and uh, and who's that for? And uh, yeah, feel free to give that one a bit of a plug before we call it a day. So the evening elixir is. Our newest release, it came out on Thursday, so yesterday, available now, and it's a hot chocolate powder that has skincare benefits. So it's only 13 calories per serve and it's the perfect, you know, after-dinner treat if you don't want, you know, a bowl of ice cream. It's a really delicious (laughs) drink and, you know, it boosts your collagen while you sleep. So really, really delicious, highly recommend, and, you know, it's for everyone. Yep, fantastic. And is that so? It's for everyone. So men and women. Like I was chatting to you before we started, I thought that Wellco products were only for females. But you're saying it's not the case. Yeah, we, anyone can take them. We do have two products which are you know female hormones, but the Super Elixir, our, our greens product, is really for everyone. So we do you know skew female, but we do have you know a lot of men taking it and highly recommend it as well. Perfect. Well, um, yeah, thanks for sharing your insights into how things are going at Wellco. I'm looking forward to watching that journey a little bit more closely now. I uh, know a bit more about it. And, um, yeah, look, I really appreciate your time. All the best with the move up to Sydney and uh, and look forward to, yeah, seeing more of your work uh, being rolled out throughout the course of 2024. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. No problem.